0: Good morning and welcome to Grace Bible Church as we celebrate this Resurrection Day. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He's risen indeed. Some of you may wonder, some of you may have wondered why we observe this occasion at Grace Bible Church. We fully recognize that our celebration of Resurrection Day doesn't correspond with the actual date of the resurrection. Uh, the date actually is based on a decision made at the Council of Nicaea. Uh, in the words of Robert Rumbach, the Eastern Church and the Western Church at the time differed upon the observation of the date. The Council of Nicaea settled the matter by fixing the day to be observed as the first Sunday after the first full moon, which appears uh, next after May, March 21st. And so that is that is the date that we uh, observe uh, Resurrection Day on a yearly basis, on an annual basis. The Council of Nicaea ruled that the Western cu- custom was to be observed throughout the empire on the first Sunday after the full moon of the following the vernal equinox. That's how it was set. It was later called Easter by, or when Germanic tribes were con- converted to, to Christianity. Now, today, as you may have heard, may, maybe people with the rumblings you hear, uh, there's some controversy in churches as to whether to observe this day along with Christmas. Uh, at, at Grace Bible Church, we've actually chosen to observe what many call Easter because it has been deemed a special occasion in our culture. In other words, along with Christmas, it is a day when folks traditionally attend church in our culture, therefore it gives us an opportunity to focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and also to preach the gospel to those who are in attendance. Now, here's what's interesting. We don't recognize this day as any more special uh, than any other Lord's Day, or really any other day for that matter. All all days are holy to the Lord. Some try to say that we should observe the Jewish Passover instead of the resurrection day, uh, or at least uh, the resurrection day on the Jewish Passover, but I would respond with the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 14, 5 and 6. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. So at Grace Bible Church, we observe this day, this resurrection day, for the Lord. And that's why we do it. That's why we do it. We give thanks to God for the opportunity to preach the gospel to those who attend on Easter and even on Christmas, which we observe as well. We know that Jesus did not command us to observe these days. He didn't say, you shall observe this day. He didn't say that. We are fully convinced, though, that it is honoring to Christ to take a day each year uh, to highlight the resurrection of Christ. We do the same at Christmas as we highlight his birth. We fully realize, and I I just want to make sure I say this, that what Jesus accomplished with his life, death, resurrection, and exaltation satisfies, fully satisfies, the requirements of the law. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It's finished. In Paul's words... In Colossians 2, 16 and 17, it says, Therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. We believe Paul's words. We are convinced, again, that, that, that the substance of these things belongs to Christ. Today, we gladly take the opportunity to proclaim the glory of our resurrected Lord and Savior. We do this for the same reason we do all that we do. We do this to bring glory to the Father in the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. As the Apostle Paul proclaims in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever then, or whether then, you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we're taking this day for the glory of God to present, to look to the resurrection, and we pray that you are encouraged by the Lord as we study Acts 2 this morning, uh, Peter's sermon in Acts 2, through 35 So let me pray, and then we're going to read the text, <clears throat> and then we'll jump right into it. Our gracious Lord, we thank you this morning and praise you that we can come here today and that we can observe, that we can focus on the resurrection this morning. Father, may we do so to your glory. May we do so so that we proclaim the name which is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Let me read the text, starting in Acts 2, starting in verse 22. This is Peter on the day of Pentecost. putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have been you have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, But he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, in this text, Peter gives four miraculous proofs. We're going to look at four miraculous proofs that Jesus was raised from the dead and is Lord and Christ. That's Acts 2.36. First, you must believe that the miraculous proof of Jesus' amazing ministry. You must believe the miraculous proof of God's magnificent plan. You must, third, believe the the miraculous proof Proof of Jesus' powerful resurrection. And fourth, you must believe the miraculous proof of Jesus' glorious exaltation. And lastly, you must believe Peter's piercing conclusion, Acts 236. Now, the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is critical to our understanding of what Christ accomplished in his earthly ministry. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, he wrote, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Friends, our faith depends upon the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is Clear that we must believe that Jesus rose from the dead. In the words of Adrian Rogers, the resurrection is not merely important to the historic Christian faith. Without it, there would be no Christianity. It it is the singular doctrine that elevates Christianity above all other world religions, end quotes. Now, as you know, we... Today, sitting here in these pews, we are not witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Yet, it is written, it is written that if you believe in your heart that Jesus, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. In Hebrews 11, 1, faith is defined as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. In the words of John MacArthur, true faith is, based on, is not based on empirical evidence, but on divine assurance, and it is a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. That's putting it simply. God gives us a gift of faith. In Ephesians 2, 8, it says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of, itself, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Having said that, Having said that, there are those who witnessed the resurrected Christ. They saw, they saw Jesus walking around in bodily flesh. They saw him in the flesh after he was raised from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 4, Paul says that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom... Paul says at the time of writing of 1 Corinthians 15, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, then he appeared to, then he appeared, last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So we have the witnesses of all of these people who saw the risen Lord. So by faith in what has been written in the scripture, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we believe their witness. We believe their witness. And we're also encouraged that God has provided uh, the record of all that they saw. Now, the Apostle John ties these two thoughts together in John 20, 30, and 31. He says, therefore, many other signs uh, Jesus also performed in the Presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So they saw these things, they witnessed these things, and then they wrote them down in Scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and therefore we see those things in Scripture and we can believe them by faith. As many of you know, we just finished our series from the Old Testament in the Old Testament book of Jonah. Throughout the series, I teased you uh, about the meaning of the sign of Jonah from Matthew chapter 12. In that passage, the scribes and the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign from heaven that he was God. They, Jesus warned them, though. He warned them in in Matthew 12, 39, he said, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. (coughs) Now, in our study of Jonah, we learned that the miracle of Jonah's survival in the fish for three days and three nights led to the salvation of many in the great city of Nineveh. Now, probably what happened was the Ninevites recognized, <clears throat> recognized that Jonah's god, Yahweh, was greater or is greater than their fish goddess, Nanshi. Now, Jonah then, Jonah himself then became a miraculous sign to, the, to Nineveh of the greatness of God. Therefore, Jesus was warning the Jewish leaders that by the miracle of his resurrection, he would become a miraculous sign to them that he is both their Lord and Messiah. Now, today I want to challenge you. The question is do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? Now, I'm not talking about a worldly belief in miracles. I'm talking about miracles that form a test showing whether or not you have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, before we dive into our text, I should give you a brief context of our passage. In this chapter, in Acts chapter 2, Luke recorded the events of the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church. On that day, the Lord sent the Holy Spirit just as he had promised. In Acts chapter chapter 1, verse 5, just before ascending to the Father, Jesus told the disciples that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, Acts 2, 1 through 13, then. Acts 2, 1-13 then records the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to baptize His disciples with the Holy Spirit. It also presents the beginning of the church and the church's early witness to Jerusalem as promised in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Excuse me. Now, as part of that witness... Peter stood to preach one of the most important sermons, if not the most important sermon in the history of the church. In Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 35, which we read earlier, Peter gives these four miraculous proofs that Jesus was raised from the dead and is Lord and Christ. Let's look at that first proof that Jesus was raised from the dead and is Lord and Christ. You must believe the proof of Jesus' amazing ministry. That's verse... 22. Verse 22, Luke writes, and Peter, and Peter speaks or preaches, Men of Israel, listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man. Now, first I want you to notice that I want you to notice Peter's audience. They were primarily Jewish. Now, he says this because Jesus lived among, he dwelt among the people of Israel. They witnessed his life and his teaching. Jesus' ministry, as he, as he went about ministry, amazed the people uh, in Matthew 7:28 and 29 the crowds it says the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. So clearly Jesus was teaching and, and they were seeing and understanding Jesus as having authority, the very authority of God. Second no- notice that Peter identifies Jesus as a Nazarene, as a Nazarene. Now, that description is one of humility. In John 146, Nathanael scornfully quipped, can anything, any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Friends, Nazareth of Galilee was an insignificant village even in the minds of Galileans. It had almost no importance to those in, in Jerusalem. I mean, it was nothing. It was a backwater town. Yet Jesus came to live in that place. Church, Jesus' earthly ministry was humble from beginning to end. At his birth, he was laid in a feeding trough. In, in his life, he, he was from a town called Nazareth, a backwater town that meant nothing to anyone in Israel. And at his death, he died uh, the most of died in the most humiliating way imaginable. According to the prophecy of Isaiah, written almost seven hundred years before Jesus, Isaiah fifty-three verses two and three: He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. But listen to this: He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. question is, do you, do you believe Jesus' ministry was a humble ministry? Look back at your text in verse 22. It says, A man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. You see, Jesus' ministry was not only a humble ministry, but it was also a miraculous ministry. Not only did these men of, of Israel witness Jesus' authoritative teaching, they witnesses, witnessed the, the miracles and wonders and signs that God performed through him. According to Scripture, he he turned the water to wine, he, he healed the sick, He cast out many demons. He caused a uh, miraculous catch of fish. Uh, He miraculously fed the multitudes. He, He made the lame to walk. He made the blind to see. He made the mute to hear. He made the deaf to hear. Or the mute to talk, that is, and the deaf to hear. He controlled the wind and the waves. He made money required for taxes to appear. And he even raised the dead. So Peter says... You saw all those miracles. You witnessed them. Friends, do you believe that Jesus' ministry was full of miracles and wonders and signs? You see, I mentioned Matthew chapter 12 earlier. The Jewish leaders denied them at their peril. They saw them, and they, they applied them and said, You must be of Beelzebub, You must be of the devil, basically. Truly, we refuse to believe his miracles at our peril. Look back at Acts 2.22. you find, we'll also find that Jesus' ministry is not only a humble ministry, a miraculous ministry, but it's also a certain ministry. And Peter proclaims, just as you yourselves know. He's preaching here publicly in Jerusalem, and he says, just as you yourselves know. According to Peter, there was no denying what Jesus had done. And so he declares to all of Jerusalem and Judea that they cannot contradict his assertions. Peter was certain because he saw it. He could assert these truths because Jesus' amazing ministry was open for all to see. He openly proclaimed these things and no one came forward to contradict him. Church, I pray that you will see the proof of his amazing ministry in the pages of Scripture. It's all right here for us to see. And we believe it by faith. We've looked at the first of four, first of four miraculous proofs that Jesus was raised from the dead and is Lord in Christ. Let's, let's look at the second. You must believe the miraculous proof of God's magnificent plan. Look at verse 23. So this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. We see here that that God's plan, his plan, was predetermined. Peter declares that every detail of Jesus' death was predetermined by the Father. In other words, from the foundation, before the foundation of the world, God's God predetermined or preordained that Jesus uh, would would die, go to the cross to die as an atonement for, their, for, for our sins. Not one action, not one spoken word was outside of his sovereign control. I, you can write it down, you can understand it, that Nothing happened outside of his sovereign control. Everything was according to his sovereign will. He used the Jews who insisted that he be uh, crucified. He he even used godless men, the Romans, to actually put him on the cross and kill him, uh, to to execute him uh, in that humiliating way. But here's the truth. It was his plan, every detail of it. Yet both groups were accountable for their actions. Both the Jews and the Romans are fully accountable for what uh, what they did. You can rest assured that everyone involved acted according to their nature. They acted according to their nature. Said another way, God didn't violate their personal choices. They didn't violate, they didn't didn't do something they didn't want to do. They did exactly what they wanted to do, but every act happened, thank you, every act happened happened according to God's sovereign decree. In the words of John MacArthur, the the, the the crucifixion was predetermined by God. The fact that the crucifixion was predetermined by God does not absolve the guilt of those who caused it. But the truth is, you must believe. You must believe that they put Jesus to death according to God's magnificent and sovereign plan, yet that was not the end. That was not the end. Let's look at the miraculous proof of Jesus' powerful resurrection. And this is really the climax of the, te- climax of the text. In Acts 20, 22, look at your text. It says, but God raised him up again. God raised him up again. God resurrected him from the grave. Uh, This was a demonstration of God's power. In Ephesians 1, Paul prayed for the Christians in Ephesus, and I have much the same prayer for our church. He wanted them to know the surpassing greatness of his power, which was demonstrated when God raised him from the dead. The power of God, the very power of God, was demonstrated when, when when Christ rose from the grave. According to Peter, this put an end to the agony of death. Incredibly, he could not be held in the power of death's grip. Jesus himself proclaimed in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Look back at your text in verse 25. Here in this this verse, Peter clearly declares that David David prophesied his his resurrection. So in the Old Testament David clearly looked forward to to Jesus's resurrection. Now we don't have time to study these verses in depth, but I will describe I'll try to describe what Peter is doing here. He's quoting from David in Psalm 16. Using that Psalm David or Peter speaks David's prophetic words from over a thousand years before Jesus was resurrected. In in Psalm 1610, David confidently asserts the truth of the resurrection. He knows that Yahweh will not abandon his soul to Sheol or death. That is a general truth. And he also then proclaims that that God's Holy One will not undergo decay. Now, Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter applies this truth to Jesus of Nazareth. He contends that the the lesser David, King David, had a much greater David in mind, King Jesus, as he penned these words. In Peter's words in Acts 2.29 then, he says, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, you can go right down the street, open David's tomb, and his bones are there. His flesh is not. David's body then attests that he could not have been directly referring to himself in Psalm 16.10. So so Peter, in Acts 2.30, Peter says... Peter says, because he was a prophet, so that he was a prophet, David was a prophet, acting as a prophet in this way, he knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, which Peter is referring then to the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, Uh, God promised then that he would establish the throne of his kingdom forever and that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever forever. Peter continues in in Acts 2.31, So he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, and that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. And then in verse 32, in verse 32, witnesses attested to the truth of it. Look at, look at your text in verse 32. Then Jesus, this Jesus, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Powerfully, David prophesied over a thousand years before that Jesus was to be raised from the dead. Uh, this fact then was fully attested by those who witnessed Jesus and his glorified body. You see, others had been raised from the dead, had they not? Not. So what made Jesus different? Others, like Lazarus, just a few, few weeks before, Jesus had been, had been resurrected. But here's the difference. They were destined to die again. They all died again. In the words of John Stott, mortal man lives and dies, Christ died and lived. We've seen the first three of four miraculous proofs that Jesus was raised from the dead and is Lord in Christ. Let's look at the fourth one. You must believe the miraculous proof of Jesus' Jesus's glorious exaltation. Look at your text in verse 33, where we're going to see his exaltation is complete. Peter proclaims, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear, As we saw earlier, as we read earlier in Acts 1, Jesus pledged to send the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, he promised his disciples powerful and far-reaching ministry through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, just listen to Acts 1.9. He says, after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. With that, Jesus ascended into heaven. And Luke says... Luke records Peter's words in Acts 2.33 that he was exalted to the right hand of God. He was exalted to the right hand of God. Peter says that Jesus' resurrection and his exaltation are a demonstration of the strength of his might. Paul, the apostle, says, The Father raised the Son from the dead and exalted Him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. Church, we serve a risen Savior. But is not just risen to live here, although He is returning. He has been risen and has ascended to the Father. And he reigns on the throne of God, exalted, exalted, far above every name that has been named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He reigns over all things. And if you have turned to Christ in saving faith, this truth should bring you great encouragement. As we deal with this world that seems so lost, that is so lost, we have a, a Savior who is a ruler over all, who will make all things and reconcile all things to himself. You see, Jesus reigns on high, having been declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. to be clear. This means he reigns over everything. All things have been put in subjection to him. If you are not listening, or if you are listening today, if you're not listening, you need to start listening. If you are listening today and have not turned to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come to him today. Come today. He is calling you to come. Don't Don't wait another moment. Scripture says that God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Back in Acts 2. Peter reminds his listeners that Jesus' uh, Jesus's exaltation was promised beforehand in the Old Testament. Uh, look, at, look at your text in Acts 2:34-35, where Peter says, For it is not David, it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself. Uh, says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You see, David prophesied that the coming Messiah would be exalted to the right hand of the Father. Peter wants his audience to know that this was God's plan from the very beginning. Do you believe in the miracle of his exaltation? Look at Peter's piercing conclusion acts two thirty six text Peter says therefore therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus this Jesus from Nazareth yet yeah, that guy whom you crucified see Peter confidently declares that Jesus was resurrected in power and exalted far above all powers and authorities. This was prophesied by uh, the Old Testament and witnessed by Peter's listeners. There was no denying uh, that Jesus, whom they sent to the cross, is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Make no mistake, in Peter's Sermon under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter boldly declared that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus was fully man. Jesus was fully God. Peter and the other apostles went to their death asserting that Jesus was, in fact, raised from the dead and has been exalted on the Father's throne. And let me tell you this. If that were not true it would be utterly blasphemous. Yet Peter and the others courageously proclaimed that Jesus is, in fact, Lord. They assert that Jesus is also the Christ. So he is Lord and he is the Messiah. You see, Jesus of Nazareth was or is Israel's long-awaited Messiah. And to those who were listening these things these were absolutely shocking declarations. Shocking declarations. Jesus the son of man, the son of God, Lord and Messiah. Friends, Jesus's miraculous earthly ministry proves it. His God, God's magnificent plan proves it. Jesus's powerful resurrection also proves it. And his Glorious exaltation is the capstone of proof. I ask again, do you believe in miracles? I would argue that the bodily resurrection of attested to us by many witnesses in the, is the crowning proof to all huma- of humanity that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. In the words of Henry, Henry M. Morris, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. If the resurrection did not take place, then Christianity is a false religion. If it did take place, then Christ is God and the Christian faith is absolutely true. Or is absolute truth. End quote. Again, I ask, I ask, do you believe in miracles? Where do you stand on these things? Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Sinclair Ferguson says, We are adopted into God's family through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, in which he paid all our obligations to sin, the law, and the devil, in whose family we once lived. Our old status lies in his tomb. Our new status, a new status, is ours through his resurrection. End quote. Again, I ask you, have you bowed your knee to the name, which is above all names? He will come again in glory as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming. He's coming as Lord and coming as judge. He is Lord and King, but he is unlike any earthly king. You see, he's a gentle king. He's a good king. Just listen to his words in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 30. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Beloved, we all have burdens, the burdens of this world and of our sin. He bids you to come. He bids you to come, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to Jesus. Right now, I pray that the Holy Spirit will quicken your heart to believe that Jesus of Nazareth lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, was sealed in the tomb, was raised from the dead on the third day, and was exalted to the right hand of the Father. And that he reigns above all earthly and angelic powers. And I hope that you, I pray that you will believe that he is coming again. He's coming again. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. He's coming as judge. I hope you're ready. I pray that you're ready. If the Holy Spirit has laid anything on your heart in the preaching of this sermon, I ask that you come to me or to one of the leaders. We'd love to talk to you. You can contact me anytime during the week. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this this morning as we end this sermon. What a powerful powerful sermon that Peter preached on that first Pentecost, on on, the, on Pentecost, Lord. Power of the resurrection. I pray, Lord, that we would just have hope. That we would have hope that we too will be resurrected from the dead with our Lord to live forever with him. In Christ's name, amen.